Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mdiwa Gavaza, and uh, for today, we do get into a reflective type of discussion around the economy. It's a Friday, which means we get into the hard economics, uh, but uh, today is the 24th of uh, March, 2023, uh, which means that uh, this coming Monday, uh, three days from now, is going to be exactly three years uh, since South Africa went into lockdown for the infamous uh, COVID-19 pandemic and uh, we all found ourselves indoors for quite an extended period of time and it turned the economy onto its head and uh, for today that's the discussion we're going to be having just around reflecting on what uh, you know the last three years has been and uh, more importantly you know where we find ourselves now a lot of people say post-pandemic but for you know many people out there um, COVID-19 does continue to be a reality in terms of infections uh, that still you know, continue to go up and we still see a lot um, of um, you know, systems, policies uh, that were brought in during COVID-19 continuing to affect us today. So the conversation we're having is where do we stand now? And to help us to unpack, we are joined by a Chief Economist over at KH Equity Partners that is Ndumiso Hadebe. Uh, who's going to be just helping us uh, to drive this discussion forward. Dumiso, greetings to you today. Greetings to you, Modiwa, and uh, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, perhaps a good place for us to start, Dumiso. We've had a number of discussions with you on this platform, particularly reflective ones. You know, I think the last conversation we had with you was looking back at uh, 2022 in the economy. Um, and I think today, you know, as we said, we are reflecting on the last couple of years. How would you characterize the last three years in the economy? Sure. I think um, the last three years have really been characterized by how the world economy, but also the South African economy looks at framing uh, the risk environment um, in terms of the domestic and global economy, but also in terms of the opportunities for growth and where fundamental shifts are, are in essence happening. And I think there are really five areas where we can potentially um, have these observations, um, uh, reflect on these observations of the past three years. The first being the question around economic recovery and economic reconstruction. We would know that, of course, in the domestic economy and, of course, the global economy, a significant dip in growth outlook um, as a result of the COVID-19 induced uh, lockdown um, that resulted in many economies around the globe, of course, um, recording negative growth over that period. And it was also characterized by a significant rebound in terms of GDP growth um, in most parts of the world, similarly to South Africa as well. We also seen significant um, the significant role of um, inflation and of course interest rates that uh, has seemingly characterized the economic environment and business landscape that we have been operating on over the last short while. Prior to 2022, we saw um, inflation efforts to try and ensure that uh, from a consumption spending point of view, the economy is able to be reignited and to drive the, the idea around economic recovery in the domestic economy in South Africa. But of course, quite recently, we've been having a significant challenges around inflation and draining it in in South Africa, but also globally. Fortunately, in the South African environment, we have not recorded double-digit double growth in terms of inflation outlook. The recent data, of course, of 7% 
released by Statasis does certainly suggest that another hike is indeed um, on the way in order to try and rein in within the 3 to 6% target band. And so that continues to be a prominent feature that the world and the domestic economy continues to, to navigate around. The, the, the third point is around the demographic shifts and uh, what we're seeing around the world. Of course, would be quite aware that um, the the African continent and South Africa in particular is located in a context where the median age of the population is around 18 years old, and it continues to be the fastest growing population in the world. Whereas when you see other economies around the globe, such as East and Central Asia, the Pacific um, and Central Europe as well, uh, which comprise just over 50% of world contribution um struggling with rather aged uh, aged um, uh, populations which i think presents uh, interesting opportunities in terms of what the next 20 30 40 years look like in terms of the restructuring of the global economy and how the economy builds its resilience to um, uh, external shocks such as COVID-19, to shocks such as geopolitical risks, such as the ones we've seen through the the, the, the war in uh, Ukraine by Russia. And of course, other economic developments uh, that we're seeing now, we've also seen quite recently some tensions between china and taiwan uh we've seen the relationships that is being fostered from a currency point of view between um, china and russia of course these geopolitical uh, developments uh, will play significant um, uh, inputs in terms of what the uh, domestic and global economic landscape uh, would look like in the near term a lot to unpack there, you know, and one of the things that I'm quite, uh, you know, interested to get your sense on, um, especially given all of the different shifts, um, there's so many things to think about, but the US dollar is particularly interesting to me, given everything that's been going on, uh, the interest rate positions, um, you know, so many doubts, you know, from people out there uh, about whether or not it needs to become the reserve currency. We saw a lot of people running to the US dollar during the last couple of years. We've attributed a lot of uh, rand weakness um, at the moment to um, strengthening of the US dollar. But when it comes to, I guess, rejig the economy what you were talking about just now a huge piece of that debate is around currencies does the US dollar continue to be the world's reserve currency going forward or do we actually get something new going forward or do we maintain the status quo yeah thanks Mudia, for that I think it's, it's an interesting um, point of reflection when it comes to um, the question of the global reserve currency so I think over 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 the last I'd say 40 40 or 50 years or so we've seen a significant uh, globalization of of the world economy and increased integration into supply chains um, um, and, and that has been fundamentally what has been driving the global economy by and large in terms of increased integration between different countries around the globe and supply chains as well uh, regardless of the industries that um, uh, may that, that may be referred to from an operating point of view but i think similarly to what we saw during brexit we somewhat are seeing we came through a period of globalization. Now we are seeing a, some what might suggest to be a period of uh, um, at different levels, fragmentation at the level of uh, foreign policy and uh, the friendships that have been built around the world and how the trends and the tensions uh, that continue to face the global economy continues to test 
the strength of those friendships and the foreign policy positions of those countries. But I think as well, that then reflects itself in terms of this ongoing debate and these developments around should the US dollar continue to be the global reserve currency? Now, as things stand, uh, the, the the US dollar continues to be uh, the global reserve um, uh, currency and continues to be a significant um, uh, uh, currency trader in, in, in the financial markets uh, presently. Um, in terms of whether or not the present developments would then result in fundamental shifts um, that would happen from a from a from a currency and international trade point of view, um, I think the the jury is still out there because it certainly would require significant lobbying for multilateral organizations. But as well, it, it will essentially um, raise a lot of questions around the, the structuring or the restructuring trade arrangements that mostly, and most importantly for, for businesses and for policymakers to certainly reflect on what would be the possible implications in a scenario of that nature, especially on the African continent where you have the significant drive to really foster uh, deepened trade through the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. And what does that mean? Because ultimately, uh, uh, the, 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 the position around the African Continental Free Trade Ad Agreement is, uh, is, I think, I believe it's around stage five of uh, seven stages um, of what uh, came out of the Abuja Treaty uh, many, many years ago. And the ultimate position of those stages is to is for Africa to have one common currency. So it then raises those questions as to do these developments or does this ongoing debate um, accelerate that work or does it present further challenges in terms of the practicalities? Because ultimately it becomes a practical question uh, when dealing with currencies and uh, the African uh, market is 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 very uneven in many ways. And so there 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 there's a significant likelihood that there will be fundamental challenges that will be faced there as to whether development would accelerate that or, or um, ensure that uh, those challenges are addressed speedily or not. I think certainly the jury is still out there and something to certainly continue to look out for. No, certainly the jury is still out and it will be interesting to see how all of that does develop over time. I do root for what you've just uh, spoken about, a common currency on the African continent. Um, you know, I think it would really go far. Uh, the European Union, um, though not perfect and uh, having its, its, its flaws, I think uh, the issues with uh, Portugal, um, Italy, Greece and Spain a couple of years ago really put um, that particular model to the, to the test. Uh, but the fact that they're still standing to this day and still have one of the top three currencies in the world, um, it does speak to that particular issue to say that uh, when you have that consolidation, uh, people coming together under that one unified umbrella, uh, there really is good strength in those numbers. Hopefully, we will we will be able to make a lot of some of some of these things materialize. We have been seeing quite a number of uh, moves in terms of reducing, let's say, your travel barriers, travel restrictions, visa requirements, uh, free movement. Um, of people and hopefully then goods um, on the continent and hope, I really do hope um, that uh, down the line we do find ourselves in a situation where 
um, we can do something like that. Um, and then that all of that then brings uh, because we 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 seem to be on on a big picture type of conversation today. It does speak to the issue of South Africa. Um, you know, to say where does South Africa then fit into all of this? Um, because South Africa has always been an open economy um, in the global context, but a leader on the African continent, and it. If anything um, that we're talking about, whether it's currencies, banding together as African countries, uh, do you see South Africa maintaining um, that leadership position? Uh, because there have been a number of different contenders. Um, I'm thinking Egypt, the rise of uh, informal economies like your Ethiopia's. Nigeria continues to be a big, uh, big player, albeit um, underdeveloped in terms of uh, infrastructure. Uh, South Africa has always held that place, but you know, do you see that continuing, especially just given the strain that COVID-19 had on us? Yeah, no, of course. Of course, I think um, in many ways, the the recent development around the, the grey listing of uh, South Africa by the Financial Action Task Force was a, a big wake-up call around um, the, the, the sophistication, but of course, the enforcement aspects of South Africa's um, efforts to ensure that it continues to, to certainly strengthen its capabilities um, in terms of its whole monetary and of course financial system architecture its reliability its credibility and of course its sustainability and so i think that in itself uh, was, was an important um reminder pardon me uh, around the work that still needs to be done especially as we're seeing the acceleration of new technologies that are being developed um that are gradually over time are, are, are starting to play a role in terms of the global financial monetary system and so it becomes quite key uh, for south africa to ensure that it does not lax when it comes to those efforts um especially because um South Africa's economy is indeed a very small economy. It is an open economy. Even when you look at it from a trade point of view, um, from an export side, you've got your top trading partners there, China, US, Germany. Imports, uh, you have China, US, Germany there as well. Then you have India in the mix, the likes of Japan and Mozambique. So, so because of how integrated it is with the global economy, it's all the more important to ensure that it does not lack when it comes to its the execution and the enforcement of its regulations, but also ensuring that its financial system is credible. Because, um, of course, this recent development did signify or uh, bring a signal, uh, not only to the financial markets, but to regulators in South Africa, that uh, if uh, the ball is dropped or the pace is slow in terms of addressing some, some of these areas, in terms of its standing, not only on the continent, but just globally and and uh, uh, in terms of global financial flows as well okay cool now i've asked a lot of questions <laughs> you know <laughs> up until this point uh you know some of them a bit uh long-winded but you know within uh, the what you call this um, just trying to keep uh, on that big picture. But for you, because you did give us your uh, quite a comprehensive um, reflection at the start of today's discussion about the last three years, um, at the moment and going forward, you know, uh, there's a whole basket of things uh, that are currently affecting uh, South Africa. You've got a great listing, you've got interest rates, inflation, um, the ongoing load shedding, so many things to think about. Um, 
what are you you know particularly keeping an eye on because um the one thing i've learned about um you know learned being an economist myself is there tends to be you know certain areas uh, areas of passion you know areas of interest um you know that uh, a person you know starts uh, you know keeping an eye on um over time so for you at the moment you know what is it and what are you seeing in that space Sure, Mudu. I think you're you're quite correct in that there there are a lot of things um, uh, that 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 uh, of of particular interest in terms of not only the domestic but global economy. But on my side, I think it's some of the the fundamental areas for for growth in the long term, which have been quite uh, of interest to me. Um, the first has been uh, the challenge uh, around resources. Um, the challenge around resources when we're talking about water scarcity, for example, um, some estimates suggest that two thirds of the world's population will be affected by water scarcity by 2025. Um, you then have uh, commodities in the agriculture sector, for example, when in other estimates, um, it's anticipated that around the, there would be a 1% drop in crop yields um, from today till around 2050 whilst at the same time demand for for crop yields will increase by 14 percent per decade so clearly there are some supply challenges that we can anticipate there from a food security point of view which is a fundamental shift and trend that needs to that policymakers and businesses alike need to look out for and respond to you've quite correctly mentioned the issues around energy um, in the not only the south african context but I think globally around ensuring that there's increased uh, decarbonization um, in our productivity efforts around the world. Um, then issues around mineral resources, rare, rare earth metals, and the possibility of these rare earth metals depleting by 2040. What does that mean for manufacturing and uh, the production of goods and services, especially in the age of technology and uh, various copper uh, um, inputs that are required and chips and so on and so forth? Um, I think a lot of research and development and innovation would be required today beyond 2040 to ensure that uh, from a, a non-durable and durable goods point of view, we are able to 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 really meet the, the, those demands. But I think a key area of interest is centered around technology. Um, and I think you would certainly agree uh, on, on this specific one, Mudiwa. Um, I think before the introduction of um, the likes of chat GPT earlier this year, um, some studies suggested uh, one that was done in the US um, suggested that uh, um, in the next 15 to 20 years, just about half of the US workforce um, would be at the threat of computerization. Um, and you would find their job profiles, such as credit analysts, accountants and auditors, and uh, the guys who do modeling and so forth almost have a one-to-one -one chance of their jobs being uh, computerized. Uh, economists, interestingly, have, according to that study, uh, had uh, an almost 50-50 chance of um, our work being computerized. But of interest is that one of the job uh, profiles that had have had the least prospect of being computerized through digitization and uh, a widespread adoption of robotics, AI, and new technologies have been uh, jobs such as human resource managers and civil engineers. So I think that technology trend signifies what the workforce of the future would look like. Uh, 
what wage earnings and wage prospects for the future will certainly look like, but also raises very important discussions around what does productivity of the future in the future look like, and what does it mean in terms of people's well-being and their ability to, to sustain themselves and their families and to continue to have uh, significant productive outputs and, and economies that continue to perform um, uh, uh, at the level at which it would yield the kind of dividend that people need, especially in, in the South African context, where we have high levels of unemployment um, and inequality. So those are the fundamental shifts that I'm presently um, looking at and really looking uh, with a very watchful eye around what it means for policy, what it means for business responses as well. If there's one thing I certainly agree with you, it is, uh, you know, the technology factor. Um, I, I, like you said, uh, the, the, the proliferation of artificial intelligence, especially um, after um, ChatGPT has come to the fore, you know, has really been, um, you know, quite something. Um, so it's, it is going to be interesting to see how that develops over time. Um, seeing this arms race between Google, Microsoft, it's been quite amazing, um, you know, to watch. Just out of interest, are you using, you know, ChatGPT or any of these <laughs> uh, platforms yourself? Yeah, yeah, certainly, definitely. Um, I, I, I'm still learning to see how does one optimally utilize some of these platforms, but I think it's quite important to keep one's fingers on the pulse around um, the ability to improve efficiencies in the workplace um, and uh, see what would that mean then in terms of uh, improved productive outcomes. So I certainly, certainly use it um, uh, from time to time. Yeah, I think I'm also in the same bucket. Uh, I've been playing around, you know, where I can with some of the tools. Um, you know, there is a bit of a steep learning curve in certain instances, but, you know, I think you know, people would rather be embracing the technology <laughs> as opposed to try to ban it or try to be afraid of it. Um, but, you know, when it comes to these artificial intelligence things, especially um, in South Africa, access becomes an issue because um, in a lot of cases for you to even have internet access or to get online, you need electricity. <laughs> and and, uh, you know, that is um, that is uh, perhaps the biggest issue facing South Africa and the South African economy. So maybe that's where we can end off today, because I think um, going into COVID-19, the one thing we didn't really face during the lockdown um, is load shedding. I can, I can only imagine what lockdowns would have been like if they had been coupled together with load shedding as well. So maybe that's where we can end off today's discussion just around, you know, where, you know, what you're seeing in terms of load shedding, because I'm pretty sure in, in your work, it's just one of those things that you can't escape, you can't run away from, and you just have to factor it in. For sure, for sure. I think... Uh... In terms of load shedding, from a business point of view, uh, not only on our side, but I think businesses generally, um, uh, businesses are making a plan. Um, despite the the promises and the developments that have been made around the appointment of a minister of electricity, and of course, the goal to sort of have load shedding dealt with before end of the year, um, businesses continue to make a plan. We are seeing a significant upsurge in terms of the adoption of renewable alternative sources. Um, we're also seeing... Um, uh, a prevalent gap that you mentioned around um, access around some of the 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 abilities to be able to respond or, or mitigate for uh, the uh, for the lack of electricity specifically when it comes to the poorest in in South Africa but of course given the inequality levels so we find that the 
options compared to people that uh, have the adequate resources to be able to have alternative solutions uh, continues to be a prevalent gap there. And I think from a policy point of view, it raises very important questions around how do we respond to that? Because it's not the first time during COVID-19, at the height of COVID-19, when uh, the socially distressed grants needed to be distributed through SASA and so forth, we saw some very clear process gaps in terms of how uh, the, the intended beneficiaries would be able to receive uh, these grants, especially if they're not registered. We also seen from the informal business point of view, when it comes to the, some of the packages that are pronounced, their inability to access those because they're simply not on any platform or system or and so forth. So it presents a really very evident gaps, but I think it also presents very clear areas of opportunity around how we need to bridge those gaps build um, further resilience of not only in households, but just of the South African economy broadly, so that when interventions are required, uh, the, the, the intervention is ubiquitous and is able to be effective and uh, efficient at the same time as well. So we wait to see how things develop on that front, but, you know, very reflective, um, you know, conversation that we were having with uh, Dumiso Hadebe, uh, who is uh, the chief economist, uh, you know, over at uh, KH, um, giving us some insight into, um, you know, some of the things that we are seeing in terms of uh, the economy over the last three years. Uh, very reflective episode, as I said, uh, just running through what COVID-19 has done to the economy, has done to South Africa has done uh, to global and global markets where South Africa actually stands today uh, some of the factors um, that are uh, affecting us right now uh, I like the fact that he was bringing in issues around your rare earth uh, minerals um, issues of technology you know all of that um, and also you know talking quite a bit um, around uh, the environment that um, you know that we find ourselves in at the end there um, as as we discuss load shedding because that does continue to be uh, the biggest issue affecting uh, South Africa and beyond. So that's been it. Uh, as I said, we were talking to the chief economist um, over at KH Equity Partners, that is Ndumiso Hadebe. Ndumiso, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Mudua, for having me. Great conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. This is Mudua's Take. So as we said, a very reflective episode. And uh, I think from my point of view, the last three years have been, you know, hard. Um, we continue to be reeling from COVID-19 and coming out of that in the post-pandemic era, uh, we continue to be reeling for what is perhaps one of the biggest curveballs that no one would have expected, which is uh, the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. And I just wonder, um, you know, when it comes to that particular war, some of the moves that we're seeing from the likes of China, um, because Ndumiso did mention, um, you know, this global economy and what that economy is going to be looking like in the next uh, couple of decades. And I really wonder what place, you know, this Russia-Ukraine war is going to have when it comes to setting whatever that uh, quote-unquote world order is going to be. If we think about, uh, you know, World War II, uh, World War One, you know, what all of those uh, types of wars, you know, had the effects that they had um, on um, 
the global economy you know what is this one you know particularly going to have because we are all uh, feeling these effects particularly from a higher oil price uh, you know inflation and uh, some of the interest rate risk that has come through uh, because of that continuation um, because a lot of people thought that right now would be in a recovery mode and a lot of people are uh, but you know it's at a much slower pace uh, to what we would have had we wait to see how things are going to go but we remain hopeful. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.